This is Photo Geek Weekly, episode 162, recorded on October 8th of 2021. Uh, the show where I'm your host, Don Komarechka, and I geek out about photography stuff. Whatever happens to be in the news in the past week, or in this case too, I did miss a week last week. I apologize. Things are busy and crazy here. You'll hear more about that in a in a few minutes. Um, but uh, this podcast aims to explore and sort of unearth the techie, the details. It could be patents. It could be ethics. It could be the new camera gear that you're lusting over and figuring out whether or not you actually need it, or if it's just a um, just a, a want. And we all want more gear. Let's face it. So we'll talk about all that, uh, and with my guest host this week, uh, the wonderful and talented and respectable Steve Brazel is with me. Steve, how are you doing? I, I thought you were talking about somebody else there for a minute. I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> I'm I'm good. I mean, life is chaos right now. I mean, we're uh, in the throes of a move overseas. And um, we still don't have a firm date for that yet, but every all the puzzle pieces are coming together. My daughter's passport arrived yesterday. Uh, today, I sold my car. Yes, I don't want to have to part with my Tesla, but um, on uh, on Tuesday, it gets dropped off and I get a check for that. And I'll probably buy another one when I'm uh, over in Bulgaria um, at some point within the next year. But um, just so many moving parts happening right now, including... Um, uh, my book, because I'm still selling through a lot of copies, but uh, they will the sale of that book is going to go on to an indefinite suspension when we move. And so I'm saying this right from the top of this episode. If anybody listening to this has not gotten a copy yet, the clock is ticking. It's probably less than two weeks now uh, to, to, to get one and to get one shipped to you. And so please, if you do want a copy of that, let me know. Um, I've already, uh, I've, I've taken money for my printer, my large format printer. I still have a few final, uh, prints to make, but the deadline has passed for, for getting prints out the door, uh, for new orders. Anyhow, everything is wrapping up and, uh, every day it kind of feels a, a little bit, a little bit better, a little bit less chaotic, but, uh, still a ways to go. How about you? Changing the chapter in your life. I'm excited for, I'm doing good. Same thing. You know, we've been, Backyard being remodeled for nine months, and finally the main construction part's done. It's just landscaping, but the the main part took forever, so the landscaper now can't start till January. But uh, just that and photographing and and doing uh, doing the normal podcast stuff. We just finished up a critique show, our our October October critique show. Instead of doing it like we normally do, where we do it on the behind the shot YouTube channel, we did this one in conjunction with Flickr and Smug Mug over on the Smug Mug Live channel with our mutual friend, Alistair Jolly. Had a great time there. Um, yeah, just keeping busy. Yeah, and you um, you recently um, got a gig as a house photographer for a concert venue, correct? Yeah, there's an arena down here by me. It's called Toyota Arena, and I, I do their house photography for concerts and some other things. I've done some uh, hockey games or scrimmages of the LA Kings and things like that down here. Um it's uh, those things tend to be more the things that are not live music tend to be more the marketing materials. So, you know, walking around the arena concourse, getting photographs of fans and attendees in concession lines or the line at the bar or outside on the patio partying, those type, you know, the VIP room, more marketing material than the event itself. Um, but the concerts, I just, you know me, I love photographing live music. 
And I'm I'm so happy that you're doing that again, and uh, that we're kind of getting back to normal in a sense, uh, you know, at least in certain parts of the world. And um, you know, there's a lot more to go, uh, a lot of room to improve uh, in many different ways. But I feel often like you know, the light at the end of the tunnel was so far away, and now we're halfway standing in it. It's just like it's one more step, and we're just about there. And the shows that are coming back, a lot of tours are coming back. Some of them are being run a little differently, you know, from a photographer point of view or at the soundboard instead of in the photo pit. But a lot of them are normal shows. Live Nation here locally hired me to to photograph Angels and Airwaves. And for them, I also have a Bad Religion show coming up, excited about shooting that one. So there, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And then periodically somebody closes the, the blinds and you can't see the light and then they open them again. But there's at least light. Yes, and hopefully it's not a train coming towards us. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I make no promise. Exactly. But hey, you know, we're, we're still here doing this show, talking about all the photo geek stuff that comes on a, on a weekly basis. And, uh, and I, I was really happy with some of the stories that came up in this, in this past week. Uh, so why, why don't we get into that and uh, we can take a break partway through and, uh, and talk more about where people can find you and me and the various things that we're up to online. But story number one, um, this one, as soon as I saw it, uh, I got really excited, even not knowing what the heck it was or who it was from, uh, because I, I'm a fan of stereoscopic 3D photography. You know, if you've got my book, there's a chapter in there and you've got the red, blue anaglyph glasses to, to, to see that. Uh, and there's been an occasional uh, sort of splash in the pan, uh, a, a sort of a fiery, very interesting uh, product from somebody somewhere uh, that does this, and then it kind of fades away again. Uh, and that's kind of been the cycle for this type of stuff. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be true of this, but what I'm talking about is Canon has announced a 5.2 millimeter f2.8 fisheye lens. So that's going to be a circular fisheye lens, but it's not just one lens. Well, it's one lens, but it's got two complete sets of optics because it's stereoscopic 3D with about the same pupil distance as human vision. Uh, so you've got, especially now on high resolution cameras, the ability to record, uh, VR footage and stills with your existing RF mount Canon camera. Uh, I had a lot of people email me this story. Please, if, if anything is related to stereoscopic 3d, I'm going to know about it before you. You don't have to inform me on that, although I do appreciate the fact that uh, that everybody saw saw that and immediately thought of me. So we're talking about that here. I've got a ton of details and use cases and things that I might want to discuss. But Steve, what do you think about this? So when I first saw this, first of all, I just love how cool it looks. And you mentioned that a lot of things like this have come and gone. But let's be clear. This is from Canon. This is a Canon RF mount lens. I don't see this and VR coming on strong like it is. Plus, you look at this and you think, oh, this is going to be one of those weird lenses that they're going to sell five of and it's going to be $7,000. This is a $2,000 lens and it is the first dual fisheye interchangeable lens for 180 degree images. And here's the key onto a single sensor, which means... You don't need any stitching software. Now, you do need software. They're going to have software coming out and not only a standalone package. This was interesting. 
but a plugin for Premiere, wondering if that plugin will run in anything like Final Cut. Somebody will come out with something, I'm sure. But you've got a scenario where you can, uh, you know, defish IDs and make them rectilinear for VR. I think there is a ton of possibility in this for what it does. There's some weird stats to me, but still. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at this. Uh, I look at this lens, and um, I, I see a lot of possibilities, even for just creative content. If, if you're not a video uh, person, right? Like, if, if VR isn't your vibe, uh, this could be a great introduction to stereoscopic in any way, shape, or form. Um, uh, partly, I, I the, the thought of an image that I want to create that immediately came to mind was a Star Trail photograph, right? Um, where I could. Um, I could, you know, when I typically photograph star trails, and it's been a while since I've done a lot of night photography, but I would, uh, you know, set up the camera for 30 second exposures, maybe at ISO 3200 and f2.8, it's usually a good uh, vibe for the night sky, really bringing up all the stars, and have the camera on continuous shooting, and just let that run for an hour, maybe two, and you might not use the full two hours, but you've collected it. Uh, and so you've got that information. Or maybe in this scenario, you let it run for four or five hours, get a really, really long star trails, but you're seeing that when it's processed in a VR environment, how surreal and spooky would that be, right? Awesome. Because, uh, yeah, it, it would, not only would it be awesome, but my mind started thinking, okay, from stills, that's great. It would be a really cool sort of, you got all the depth information, you've got something that isn't real, but it is, uh, but it really brings in the immersion of those types of things, but you could also play it back as video. You could play it back uh, where the star trail builds itself. So the stars, may maybe they are moving or maybe they're, the, the trail is growing and and that becomes a, a, a video experience, a, a proper VR where time is also an element uh, in that scene. There's lots of concepts where this can just unlock a creative door that forever was locked and then wallpapered over and everybody forgot about or it was never known to anybody uh it's opening up those creative possibilities here i think and an l mount uh or a uh a uh, an l series lens i want an l mount version of this i actually i kind of wish it was made by a third party like i wish sigma came up with this because if sigma made it then i would be able to get it on the l mount which is what all you know my what? camera that's, bodies are okay so that's an interesting point though so a couple things and first of all on the vr they mention the oculus quest 2 headset which i've worn it's really cool i didn't get motion sick which was even a greater benefit than i thought it would be but to have that star trail type thing in there would be super super cool but What's fascinating to me, somebody, I, I can't remember where I saw it, but I saw a comment somewhere where somebody said, when is Canon going to start making lenses for everybody? And I thought, really? They, they, you know, specifically talking about RF, there's a ton of RF mount lenses out there. And this person was referencing Sigma and Tamron and people like that coming out with a better, better body of RF lenses. But here's the thing you've got, again, this is $2,000, right? Gaming. VR gaming, people spend huge amounts of money in development of VR games, regular games. This is a huge industry. To be able to get a lens like this from the developer side of things, right? Forget the consumer. The developer side of this to spend $2,000 on a lens and $4,000 on an EOS R5 or, you know, whatever, 7000 on an R3. And be able to do this would be awesome. 
just amazing. It, it, again, I, to me, there's some weird specs. Minimum focus distance is just under eight inches. Again, it's really wide, right? 15 or 5.2 millimeter. Yeah, I was, I would have expected that the focusing distance to actually be fixed. I would have expected a lot of these things to be because it, it's, it's F2.8 at its widest and it goes down to what F16. Was it? F, F16. Um, you'd want to use a lens like this closer to F16 because the, the way that human vision perceives things, you know, our, our eyes refocus on things really easily, uh, but it doesn't mean everything is in focus at any given time. And so for VR content, you have to have sort of a persistent everywhere focus so that when you try to focus on something that's out of focus, your brain really, really struggles. It's a stressful thing to try to bring something into focus that will never come into focus. But think so, about this. So that this is manual focus, right? There's a giant focus ring. It manually focuses both lenses at the same time, left and right. But there is a little screwdriver looking difference adjustment dial that lets you adjust only the right lens to bring them more in sync. So think about this. You're filming. Everything's in focus. And while you're filming, you only misadjust, take out of adjustment, just the right lens. I wonder that. Why would you do that? <laughs> a weird special effect. Uh, maybe. Uh, yeah, could be. Like you're trying to mimic somebody getting hit on the back of the head with a baseball and having their right? vision uh, start to go all wonky. Or Think so. about that I, yeah, in a first-person shooter type VR game. It could be interesting. Well, of course, in a video game, they're not going to need this lens because it's all computer generated. But, um, you know, I, I do think that the, the VR content space is is expanding. Um, and I, I really think that this lens would be more useful uh, when we would have the ubiquitous, oh, oh, you've got a phone, it can do 3D, uh, right. with that being built into just every device just because it's there. Uh, the red hydrogen phone, which I had, um, did this. Uh, I have the Loom Pad, which I think they recently went on a better sale too, by the way. Got to check them out again. Uh, my daughter uses it for her uh, virtual classes and stuff and watching videos and things. Doesn't really use it for the 3D content. It's just, it's a great tablet that also happens to have the ability to display things in 3D. And I think that, if a big player like Samsung or Apple or you know Google with the Pixel phones, if one of them put a uh, no glasses required 3D display in a flagship device uh, from any large manufacturer, then the use cases for this grow exponentially. Uh, and then thereby the adoption of such lenses also grows and we all start to think with uh, a, a, a third dimension in our compositions, which I welcome. I mean, we we are uh, 3D people. Uh, we sense things well, with two liter eyes. literally, yes, yes. But but our, our senses have depth associated with them, and uh, yes, nobody can see what Steve is doing. Uh, but he's putting his <laughs> his hand right up to his camera, uh, and uh, but that experience should not be missed in photography. Uh, and I think that, yes, in some cases it can be novel. And if you don't know how to compose with depth and you do it wrong, it's like moving all the wrong sliders in an early HDR program and coming out with clown puke. Like it can be awful uh, if, if uh, misinterpreted. Uh, but I, I love 
that you know, Canon could have rolled out with um, various tilt shift lenses, other experimental things, but they chose this. Um, and that's vision. I'm going to tell you right now that because VR is coming on, we all know that, you know, the apples and everybody in the world are looking at VR more than, you know, VR and AR for that matter. Some of them more AR, but still they had the wherewithal to see that this is a product they should make to keep the price down to design it. I think, well, there is a built-in filter holder so that if you're out videoing in the sun and you need an ND filter, you could drop an ND filter in there, you know, a gel style uh, filter holder. Um, and they've already got software in the works for 2022. This is going to be out. When was it? Was it December? Uh, de December of this year. So it'll be out in, in people's hands, uh, the early adopters, which, uh, by the way, there is already software uh, in the VR space to do this. I haven't right. played with it much. I know that there's a stereo vid video maker software from the same people that make stereo photo maker. There are existing free. VR workflows. The, 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 yeah, it, it's so even if somebody gets this lens without Canon software, uh, they'll be fine. But I, I just feel especially at this price point, because these niche products usually have like a four to $6,000 price or maybe even more. Uh, the fact that they brought it down this low, uh, I think is a really cool thing. And yeah. when you've got cameras capable of shooting 6K, 8K, uh, or, you know, a very high resolution still cameras, 50 megapixels plus, uh, the possibilities here are really phenomenal. Uh, and it's the only one of its kind on the market, which it's not like, oh, you want to make a macro lens. Well, who are you competing with? Everybody. Uh, you want to make a telephoto lens? Well, there's maybe six or seven very good players out in the market, some of them exclusive to certain platforms, but uh, you know, you still have uh, you still have choice. There's nothing else like this on the market. Well, that's the question then. Are is Sigma, you wish that this was from a third party, is Sigma and Tamron and Nikon, are they seeing this announcement going, oh my God, what did we miss? Or are they going, yeah, they're way too early? Uh, well, I, I hope what they're saying is, oh, let's see how this gets adopted and what flaws people find in it, because then we will come out with our own uh, right. know, similar product that fixes all of the problems that this uh, you know early adopter, uh, one of a kind thing has. And then you've got something that is more universal because especially for VR, you know, Canon is trying to uh, position themselves as uh, as a video centric uh, company. I, I mean, that started with the 5D Mark II and then they kind of lost a favor a little bit for a while and they had the issues with the R5 overheating and so on. But they're really trying to push their video features. And this, I think, really helps establish that um, to, 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 yeah, to niche uh, people don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, this is not an everybody lens, uh, but for those that can use it, this lens will in turn sell RF bodies. I can guarantee yes. you that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, for my uses, I, I would just love to experiment and play with, I mean, obviously not this lens. I don't shoot with Canon anymore. Uh, but with this concept, and, and heck, I, I almost have half a mind that if it takes Sigma or somebody else too long to come out with a comparable product, um, if that's a manual focus ring and it's not focused by wire and I could attach it to a cheap RF body to set the uh, aperture in the lenses, 
and uh, and have that set at whatever value when it's detached from communication, which you can do with Canon cameras. You um, you, you put the lens on a Canon camera, then you uh, set your aperture, you press the depth of field preview button, which I don't think it well, it might actually exist in uh, the RF lenses. I haven't actually had my... There is a does. depth of field preview. So you press that button. Uh, and then if you then simultaneously dismount the lens while holding that button down, this was true for EF. I haven't tested it on RF. It would leave the aperture blades locked in that same position. Oh, interesting. And that would allow you to use an EF lens on an incompatible camera body to control the aperture, or if you're flipping a lens around backwards for uh, lens reversal macro photography, uh, as an example, then you could do that. Um, yeah, I, I could Frankenstein this thing. I could get some L-mount adapter and somehow put it on this thing. I might have to re-engineer it, and that would cost me way more than it should. But if, the, if push comes to shove, uh, I, I would... I'm going to use this lens or something like it at some point soon, especially um, now that imagine, imagine doing VR. You throw this on an R. First of all, I just want to have this on my R5 and walk around a concert just to see the looks. But imagine if you are on stage with the Rolling Stones tour, Metallica, whoever, and you film in this for VR, and then people could experience walking Perfect around on stage with the rolling standing next to Mick. Yep. Wow. Or may maybe they have it framed. Like um, there is a chair on stage with a mannequin in it that has this camera okay, set up. Now you just went really. Right. Keep going. I got to hear so, it now. <laughs> so the, the mannequin's head includes this setup uh, with the eyes uh, as that. So, you see all of the photos of the concert or everything else. You see this mannequin there and you know that for a couple of extra dollars, you can have that as a VR experience. You saw it from where your position was in the stand. You enjoyed it from there. Now, you know, for an extra 10 bucks uh, on, on your ticket, you can have the VR experience on stage with everybody there and they'll do some fun guitar tricks and, you know, stick their tongue out at the camera, do some theatrical stuff right there, right for you as the VR participant. Right. And, and so the fact that you could have that as a position on stage <clears throat> that everybody in the audience or looking at photos from that particular concert could see <clears throat> would be the selling point. And uh, there's a lot of opportunity for things like that. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, so uh, I'm. I, th I think this is one of those uh, products where we just have to wait to see what people do with it, right? Uh, and there's going to be all sorts of unintended or uh, uh, at least unpredictable uses uh, for it, and uh, we'll all be the better for the creativity that flows. Let's talk about the next story here. Um, Nikon, uh, not to be outdone by Canon, uh, and these are two completely different things, so it really doesn't matter. But Nikon has uh, confirmed that the Z9 uh, would be, th that it exists, basically. There was rumors uh, and some, uh, you know, almost like paparazzi style images of photographers at the Olympics that were using it. Um, and uh, they have come out with a short teaser video, likely one of a few, uh, that it will have a dual pivoting display, but not much else about it. 
there's a few subtle hints and clues that give us some information on this. Did you watch the video, Steve? I watched the video and, okay, two things. So the video goes, video goes through and then it ends. It's I 30 seconds. It's a, I, I understand it's a teaser. I kind of kind of thought, and I didn't look at the time. I kind of assumed it was like two to four minute range, right? Two minutes would have been good. 30 seconds of somebody using a, a Z9 and that was it. And okay, you can kind of tell that it's the, the dual pivot screen, which doesn't excite me. I mean, first of all, this is this is my a S1R line. has it, you know, and I mean, it's nice, but, but I mean, here's it's the not here's revolutionary. The there are people that use their LCD screens and pivot. And I do. Sometimes I'm, you know, holding a camera up in the air for something and I, I pivot the screen up. But in general, this is a high end body, which would mean it's for action and sports. And for action and sports, high end bodies, most photographers keep their eye to the viewfinder videographers, I see very few videographers walking around with a gimbal filming with uh, some sort of mirrorless or SLR that would be using a body of this level, right? They might be using an R5. Few of them are using a 1DX Mark III for that. They might've been using a 5D Mark IV. Well, I mean, there's the D6 as well. And, and I'm, <laughs> exactly. I'm looking up uh, the, the product specs for these cameras and they're more than capable. Uh, yeah, they they have uh, like a, a solid fixed screen on the back. So maybe that's what they're trying to say is the next just, flagship is going to have I just don't see high-end users. Uh, don't misunderstand me. Cool feature. All right. Pivots, landscape, and portrait directions. I don't see that. And maybe I'm completely out of touch. Totally possible. Have been before. But I don't see that the high-end users are clamoring for my, oh, I need my LCD to pivot a different direction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, there was another little hidden thing in the video that maybe it's nothing. But if you have 30 seconds, uh, any little hint or Easter egg that you put in there has got to be intentional. Uh, and I found this one was actually counterintuitive. The, the Nikon D5 is a, uh, it, it shoots at 12 frames per second with a mechanical shutter. Uh, the D6 at 14 frames per second. I listened to this video. What about the Z6 and 7? Do we know? Uh, I don't recall exactly I'll, what I'll they're I'll look at, while you're talking. But, uh, but this one, um, the Z9 looked, or it, it sounded like it was shooting at a much lower frame rate. I didn't actually time it. I'm sure I could bring the audio into like Adobe Audition or something and see exactly what the, uh, the, the time difference is between clicks, but it was nowhere near 12 frames per second, which I, I thought was odd for a flagship product. Yeah, it might be faster than that in the actual device, but you're advertising the frame rate in, in this product. And you, whether or not you intend to, you're advertising it at lower than the other uh, you know, its predecessors in the flapping mirror design. And it also sounded very odd. Like it was, uh, it, it didn't sound enjoyable. I, I don't know if that just makes me a total hipster, but when, when I, when I fire off a rapid fire burst of, uh, of images, the sound of the camera makes actually plays a small part in the enjoyability and the experience of the product, uh, and the, the creation of art process. Yeah. I, I thought the same thing that it was, especially in today's market, let's, let's base it on that. In today's market, you notice that when you watch the video, like that leaps out at you, like it doesn't sound 
right for a high-end body. I'm looking right now, even the Z7. Uh, the, Z, the Z7 low speed continuous is one to five. Then it goes high speed continuous is five and a half and high speed continuous extended is nine. Uh, if you do 14 bit, it's only eight. And the six is about the same, pretty close. It uh, goes to 12. The six does in, in extended mode. Um, this didn't sound screaming to me. No, it, it I mean, I'm sure a professional with this uh, uh, with this camera is going to make a great picture. But is there a reason to get this um, beyond beyond just adopting a new platform and you want to buy the best that there is in terms of the dollar value? Because if this that's- is a wedding photographer body to me. Wedding sports. Um, I don't know that that's the market for some of what I saw in the teaser. However. It's only 30 seconds. The, the website, the, the Nikon Japan website shows coming soon three times as though there are going to be three more teaser videos coming soon. I would argue to the marketing department at Nikon, you might want to come out with those sooner rather than later to, to clear some things up. Well, and, and I understand the ethos here of kind of giving, instead of giving like a, a two minute teaser, give four 30 second teasers, each with a different thing. But, but if there's some confusion about what you're showing and you're not really generating the hype with the first one, people will move on or they will look far more critically at the next ones. Yes. Uh, and I think that's what we're seeing here. So, yep. uh, all right, Nikon curious to see what this Z9 is going to be. Uh, you better hit this one out of the park because you've got some steep competition. Let me, from let me ask everybody. you this though. Let me ask you this, because this was interesting to me now that I'm thinking about it. So we know that it was being used at the Olympics like the R3 was. Jeff Cable had the R3. But all the photographs people snapped of photographers using the Z9, that LCD screen had gaffer tape on it, not allowing those people sports photographers. They went to the Olympics with this body and weren't allowed to use the articulating dual direction articulating screen because again, in my argument, it didn't matter to anybody there shooting it, but they had the edges covered up with gaffer tape so that nobody knew this big secret. And I just keep sitting back thinking, why is that the one th you're showing the body? Why is that the one thing you really cared that was like the big unveil? I'm, I, I'm missing something. I, I yeah, I, I don't get it. Uh, I mean, honestly, if it was like a fully articulating screen, then that might actually be better news. I mean, uh, when the Lumix S1 and S1R came out and they had the dual pivot screen, um, some people were up in arms saying, no, this has to be articulating. Otherwise, you know, you just can't get what you need to have done. You can't flip it around the other side. You can't, uh, well, you know what? You know how many times I've actually used that screen outside of its flat position? Yep. Ma maybe twice. And that was maybe just to say that, oh, I haven't used this feature much. Let's just try it. And uh, I'm indifferent. I, I just, I don't need that. However, if it was fully articulating, which I have on the S1H, uh, which I can flip it around and, and see myself if I'm shooting video. And you know, it's, there's a lot of use cases where that might be more useful. Uh, that's great. I love it. But uh, the dual pivot it doesn't hit it out of the park for me. It's not a it's not a, a game changing uh, you know option to have. Again, in music photography, we don't use live view. We don't hold it's generally frowned upon to hold it over your head. Uh, I use the viewfinder now when I'm shooting stuff for the arena. Like I'm out on the patio and they want like it to look busy. 
I'll throw the camera up on a monopod. I'll angle the screen down so that I can see the shot that I'm getting with my, my 15 to 35 at 15 millimeter. But again, it's just, it's, it's just underwhelming to me. Well, let's talk about our next uh, new product that for some will be underwhelming and uninteresting. I, I get it. But for others, it could be a real game changer and I can see them selling like hotcakes. Who buys hotcakes anymore? Anyhow, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, on, on DP Review TV, they got their hands on the newly announced Panasonic BSH, uh, BS1H, and the B standing for box. And it is a review, is boxy better? Um, so the, the B uh, cameras, they, they have one previous to this, the, the BGH5, which is a, it, it's, it's your camera. They had the B, BGH1. Oh, a GH1, that's what I meant, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was the GH5 in a box design. Um, and uh, and so in, in that case, the, you, you strip away the ergonomics of, of a regular camera. You know it's going to be used pretty well exclusively for video, often remotely. Uh, and you can create a new product that's designed for studios, designed for remote interviews, uh, designed where you can have 12, up to 12 of these things, uh, controlled remotely by the same person with a piece of software. Um, and with all of the quarter 20, um, tripod screw holes to build a rig around it, make sure that you've got a, a really decent video product. Um, again, not necessarily to be held by anybody it can be um but to be designed to like I, i'm talking on a webcam right now that webcam could be a bs1h or a bgh uh uh, uh one and I, I think that there is a good market for this and i think panasonic saw it with their micro four thirds version and now this one is basically like an s1h in that same exact form factor what do you have to say about this? So first of all, let's let's just clarify the B being for box. So the idea of a box camera, like Don said, is is video. But a lot of people who use mirrorless standard design mirrorless bodies, I'm going to call it, and you know SLR DSLR bodies for video, the the bodies themselves are designed for ergonomics to hold. And so when you're doing video and you want you know, an Atomos on it, a, a Ninja, or you want a microphone on it, or you want various other things mounted, you put those cameras in what's called a cage, which is basically metal plates that surround the camera with a whole bunch of quarter 20s on them for you to mount your gear on. The idea of a box camera is you forego all of the handheld ergonomics and you basically build the cage into the, the design of the body. But here's the thing. The BS1H is effectively the same camera, same image quality as the S1H with more hardware features, i.e. all the mounts, and less software features. And that that's, could be a huge, that to me is the big thing. And I got to say, Chris and Jordan do what they do better than anyone out there working today. And listening to their comments on this, Jordan's in particular, was fascinating to me. Full frame, 24 megapixels. He mentioned one thing I never thought about, and that is on the box camera, on the, the other one that we had mentioned, the BGH1, all the custom buttons were right next to the power button. So people were accidentally hitting the power button. 
they've moved that over. But this camera has some serious limitations to it. Well, one of them that struck me uh, was the lack of, you know, if you're doing cinema uh, work, it's, uh, yes, you can have a, uh, a histogram and that can be useful, but it's not as useful as seeing where that plays out across the image. Scopes. Uh, uh, it, it, well, a waveform of any uh, of any type. Um, this camera does not have a waveform uh, that can be displayed in by, by any means. And uh, I, I think Panasonic explained to them. But let's that that, but let's but let's add the non-box version does. Exactly. Yeah, the the S one H has waveforms. I use them all the time. Why 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 would you not add that feature? And may, maybe it's just that it will come in a firmware update. I'm sure they're trying to pack a whole lot of stuff into this for remote users and they really tested that to the nines and they just want to make sure that adding this extra feature doesn't muck anything up. I, I totally get that firmware version one might have some feature limitations because let's face it, every camera on the market right now gets new features through firmware updates. There's no exceptions to that anymore. That that just happens. Uh, and so if there is some commentary that people really want it, I got the feeling that it's going to get there. I have no knowledge, but um, but there were some of those weird limitations that I thought that okay, you know, even if you you can't imagine too many use cases for it, somebody's going to find a need for it, and uh, when they realize it's not there, they're going to complain. Well, and and you're leaving arguably the one video centric feature out of the one video centric body. It makes zero sense. The S1H has a screen, so it has a touch interface, better ergonomics, buttons, and controls. But this one, the box one, has no in-body stabilization. There's no 4K60 without a crop. You have to do a Super 35 crop on it. It has a slower readout, so you do get possible rolling shutter if you use this thing for fast action or sports. But you're not uh, supposed to really be using it in those scenarios, I guess. In the designers, it's video. Uh, you it, might want to. You might. You wanna, might. Uh, I'm I, just I, I see this as not. And you being can't a even take camera. pictures with this. Well, and that, that I, I want to <laughs> okay. get to in a second, but uh, I, I see this as not being a field camera. This being a studio camera, uh, yes. and this having all of the features to have a bunch of these positioned along a fashion runway and to switch between Ooh. them or uh, to. Uh, to, to have like in a, uh, a talk show to have all of the different angles with these very, very small cameras that can't fit a traditional broadcast camera, yet it's got all of the, you know, the Ethernet ports and everything to be wired into another system. Yeah, it, it does have an RJ45 port so that you can tether it and control it. Uh, and power it even. It's got power over... Power yes. over Ethernet, yeah. I thought that was kind of novel. That was interesting. That was interesting. So you've got some of those advantages that really make it a, a, a prominent use case in certain scenarios, but less likely uh, to be useful in others. And and, and Jordan said that uh, as so much in his video. Does that time code? Does, does uh, time code generate? Here here was a weird one though. Tell me about this. So it does Pro Res Raw. It does mm -hmm. B Raw. It does uh, go to SDI output too. Ah nope. But here's the deal. The first two Pro Res Raw and B Raw go to an external recorder, and you get that only over HDMI out. But not over SDI. the locking SDI, which is a standard in the industry, you're only getting 1080p, uh, which is a bummer because all the black magic recorders that you would run that SDI into support 4K. Yeah, well, they, and they support, you know, uh, in, in many cases, raw as well, but that's not allowed. 
uh, at least not yet. Uh, hopefully, that's not a hardware limitation. It's a software one, and we'll see that. Uh, Did you, know, you notice the, the hot future. shoe bit that he showed? Uh, he, had a, he had a Rode wireless go mic in the hot shoe, and it, and it was work. in the way of the multifunction dial. Yeah. So uh, th- again, it's not meant for field use, and and that was a perfect example of key. that. Uh, but it's meant for studio, and I think that oh, it will hey. find a, a use for that. Did it What's have that? a mic input, Jack? I don't remember. I can't recall. I would be shocked if it didn't. I know that they mentioned compatibility with the XLR adapter uh, that Panasonic offers, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't specifically spot it, and I don't have any photos up right now. So we'll leave that. We'll leave that up in the uh, uh, up in the air for now. But hey, yeah, it's very. Uh, uh, I don't see a mic port. I'm looking right now. There might might be one there, and I'm just missing it. I see HDMI. I see SD. Uh, yeah, I do not see. Oh, I see what it is. Okay, so they have small eighth inch headphone and mic inputs. It looks like uh, again, it's not mind, designed to be used for that. It's designed right. to be attached to a much well, bigger system argue- where the microphones are controlled by a separate apparatus. Yeah, but I, I'd argue a studio camera where people are using the you know C two hundreds and C five hundreds from Canon, people are plugging XLR mics into those things. This is a two thousand dollar body. Why would you buy this over, let's say, a Blackmagic six K? to use remotely. Um, and uh, I think that some of the software features that they are building in their controlling apparatus, plus <clears> the pedigree of the L mounts and the fact that it's a full frame camera sensor uh, and Blackmagic, I believe is all micro four thirds, at least at, at this stage in the game. Um, so yeah, th- there's pros and cons. Uh, on my either comeback side of the to that here. is the Blackmagic 6K gives me an e- EF mount, which I've got tons of glass for. Yep. And I can remote control exposure, color, everything through an ATEM Mini. Yep. I can't argue with that. Um, but I think it's usability. Imagine, especially during uh, the, the pandemic, when you wanted to remotely interview somebody, you could send them a kit. Uh, and all it required was for you to like plug in an Ethernet cable into the camera and have them set up a tripod and a light and have everything being controlled remotely. Uh, and have very good quality as a result. And this is the evolution of that. Uh, and I, I, I like it. I won't buy one. Um, but I, if, if I was to replace this webcam uh, in my new studio setup with something like an actual interchangeable lens camera, uh, and I went away from a webcam and I needed something purposely designed to be a camera that I really don't touch, but I can control with my keyboard and adjust some settings whenever I need to, this is it. Um, and yeah, I agree. Got, yeah. So, and there, I, I will say looking at a picture now, it looks like they have a dual XLR mic input in the hot shoe. And there's yeah, no wires the coming. Adapter. Yeah, there's nothing coming from that hot shoe adapter to the camera. So it's it's taking audio through the hot shoe connector. So it's available if you needed it. Yep. There we go. Uh, all right. I, I'm really curious to see how this uh, gets into the hands of people, just like the other stuff we've talked about and how people utilize it. Uh, the use cases people will come up with may surprise you. Although I, I, I do want to say I'm disappointed that they removed still shooting from it. Uh, because I could imagine a remote shooting experience. If if I was like a, a researcher wanting a remotely controlled camera to do time lapse of like a glacier receding or something, uh, or have it observing a volcano or you know something that was boxy, remotely accessible, you know, ruggedly designed, doesn't have parts like a screen that could easily break, etc. Um, I would want this camera. 
I would want this camera for time-lapse stills and it can't do stills. So there's that. Again, I mean, to me, they removed IS, in-body IS, and that's the huge. If you're going to call this, it's not only a studio camera, it's a studio camera that has to be mounted on a tripod. Uh, or a gimbal. Uh, or a gimbal, or, yeah. Yeah, so something that ha- handles stabilization in, in some way. But Okay, well, before we get to our final story, uh, Steve, where can people find you and your wonderful voice online and elsewhere? Uh, well done. I'm here in my, uh, sorry. Uh, people can find me at stevebrazel.com. It's like the country Brazil, but two L's. Uh, it is at Steve Brazel on Twitter at Steve Brazel on Instagram. The podcast is behind the TV for the website where I post my normal shows and I post the critique shows that you and I do. And it is at Behind the Shot TV on Twitter and at Behind the Shot TV on Instagram. And keep in mind, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast in an audio-only format. Or if your app or destination supports video, there is a video version. If it does not, the videos are up on the Behind the Shot YouTube channel. And one quick note, uh, you can also find me in New Orleans in January. I'm doing a workshop with our friends Freddie Clark and with uh, Aunt Pruitt and Andrew Scrivani. Four instructors, one workshop, four days in New Orleans in January. Wanderersphoto.com. Wonderful. And the links to all of that will be in the show notes that you can find at photogeekweekly.com. Uh, uh, make sure you send me that workshop link as well, Steve. I want to make sure that that's on that list too. Um, and uh, you can find me at doncom.ca. That's D-O-N-K-O-M.ca. And of course, you can buy a copy of my book uh, while it's still available at uh, uh, skycrystals.ca. And the links will be in the show notes at photogeekweekly.com. Okay, let's go on to our final story. And when copyright issues come up uh, across the uh, the airwaves, I like to think that um, uh, you know it, it needs a spotlight put on it. And so this one was from Petapixel. Actress says paparazzi quote weaponize copyright, refuses to pay for photos. Okay, so um, this uh, celebrity is a Real Housewives of Beverly Hills star and television personality. Um, uh, Lisa Rinna, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And uh, she told the Los Angeles Times that she has always been seen, uh, seeing the relationship between celebrities and paparazzi, uh, paparazzi as, quote, very symbolic. She claims that she understood getting photographed is, quote, part of the game uh, and never fought or ran from paparazzi before. What happened next, Steve? Okay, so... This one, just as you started introducing it, I felt the muscles in my neck and my back tighten. Uh, <laughs> what happened next was, so she took these pictures from paparazzi. She goes out, she gets photographed. She's used to it. There are some photos taken by paparazzi of her and her children. She gets those pictures. She posts them to her Instagram account, her personal Instagram account. And the company that represents the paparazzi, which is called Backgrid, sent a letter claiming 1.2, let me put the little finger up to the mouth, million dollars in damages. And she has refused to pay. So Backgrid has now filed a federal lawsuit, copyright infringement lawsuit. So often initial demands 
uh, are negotiated down. I mean, this is true across all well, legal precedents. That's not to say that it's required, um, but uh, $1.2 million in damages can can be justified in some ways because you know if if you think about it uh, and they actually state this right here uh, yeah, Joe Ardalan a partner at One LLP uh, the intellectual property law firm that has represented Backgrid in several copyright cases in, including the lawsuit against Arena uh, explains that quote once a photograph is posted People Magazine or US Weekly will be less likely to buy it. Because all their fans will have already seen it. Okay, so, then here's a question for you. Hold on. Let's stop yep. right there. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm playing devil's advocate here. Of course. In my belief, she has nothing to stand on. She should have just paid. However, two things. One, yes, you could justify the $1.2 million based on that sentence that the lawyer said. On the other hand, she has also said that if the letter was not, if the original demand was not so high and so ridiculous, she would have been less inclined to fight it and probably would have paid it. But here's my question. If the pictures didn't exist anywhere already, right there, the lawyer's argument is if the pictures effectively, I'm, I'm, I'm interpreting on my own here. If the pictures have not been published, if they don't exist anywhere for the public to see, right, then we have a leg up in licensing these images to people, us weekly, etc. So if the pictures had not been made public already, how'd she get them? Yeah, uh, they they had been made public somehow, some way. She's not going to have the private line to the paparazzi, right? And the paparazzi would have licensed them to her. So there's where my problem is. These pictures existed somewhere. She got them. She shared them wrongly. She violated copyright. She owes them money. Copyright the is a black and white thing, right? I mean, yeah, if no, you, if there's you, no question she was she's violated here. Yeah, the, uh, well, but, but the problem they, is the 1.2 million damages is excessive in my opinion and this could have been done a lot easier and not excusing I'm, her not uh, excusing again, her neither of us are lawyers but uh, I, I will say that if you think about case law in copyright cases can you find a copyright infringement case that was uh, uh, you know, th that came to a ruling at an amount above $1.2 million. And I'm pretty sure you can. Um, oh, very definitely. Uh, and I don't know the exact context and, and exactly what, what the uses uh, in that area were, but- And it was probably commercial use. Can you can you argue a picture of her and her kids on her personal thing or commercial use? I don't know. If your personality is your brand, then yes, absolutely. Um, you could make the argument that leaves to the lawyers and the courts to see how it goes. Well, and, and so if you've got this great, perfect family photo taken by a paparazzi that you put on Instagram and your Instagram platform is also where you sell sponsored right. boots and cosmetics and sports drinks and such, um, all of which are just things I thought up on the top of my head. And I have no idea if this particular person does that. But I'm saying that if you are using that as a brand building item, uh, then that, and, and if you are a celebrity of significant prominence, then those numbers go up in direct relation to the value it adds to yourself, right? It's promotion. And I hear in my industry, I hear all the time, bands want to use your pictures for free for non-commercial promotional use, to which my response is promotional use is commercial. 
you're promoting the band. But you made a comment a second ago that's so right. Copyright law is pretty much cut and dry here, right? She tried to make an argument that they effectively weaponized the Copyright Act to make up for lost revenue during the pandemic when most celebrities stayed locked down or weren't recognizable under masks, thereby hurting paparazzi income. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if they did. I don't think they did. Doesn't matter if it worked. I don't necessarily care whether it worked or not. It still doesn't give you the right to take somebody else's work and use it. And so this, I mean, I, I don't know how many celebrities listen to this particular podcast, but um, seven, seven. Oh, thank you, Steve. Uh, I, I appreciate that knowledge. All seven of you uh, know that you can't use paparazzi images, but also the paparazzi, I mean, know your rights, not just any photographer, let's say. You take a photograph because you happen to see something interesting happening and it involves another person. And that person uh, is, while they're physically in that image, maybe they're doing some crazy stunt. Maybe they're just walking down the street. You own the rights to that image. The person in the photograph doesn't own the rights to that image. And yes, there is uh, laws relating to the likeness of somebody. You can't just take a random photo of George Clooney off the street and then publish that in an erectile dysfunction ad. Because, you know, you have to have a model release in order to do certain things. Um, and, uh, and, and relating somebody to something that they have not given you the permission to do so, uh, well, I mean, that causes all sorts of problems. So here we are in this scenario where we have another um, back and forth. She's not going to win a lawsuit. The judge might, uh, might, might tear apart the number. But if this does go to court, she's going to have to pay. And what she pays, you know, based on all of this is probably going to be higher than if she tried to negotiate out of court. You know, a judge might decide and it's the judge's, um, uh, I guess, prerogative to state if the defendant has to pay the legal fees uh, associated to the people that are uh, filing the lawsuit. And so there's lots of different layers here when it comes down to it. Um, But the thing is, a lot of these get settled out of court because it's cheaper than actually going through the entire process. Uh, and so here we are. I'm really curious uh, how this uh, weaponization of the Copyright Act is going to be seen by uh, by a judge. Because uh, well, that, that's the let term me, that they're using. Right, that's the term she is actually using in the lawsuit. But let me, let me add this. The header picture on this article, right? The main picture of Lisa Rinna is her standing between two posters with photos of her her on it, (laughs) which are the, yeah, it's actually, there's three Lisa Rinna's in here. Those posters are for the DVDs that she released years and years ago. It's, you know, Oh something. So I don't know. Can't see the other day. I think it's still, but yeah, it's probably, yeah, something like that. And it's for something called dance body, beautiful, a DVD that she released or a set of DVDs that she released, which is ballroom jive jump dancing. The same laws she's arguing against are the same laws that protect her and that she and her legal team would utilize, I guarantee, if somebody took those DVDs, burned them to a computer, and uploaded them to YouTube. Yep. So you you really honestly can't talk about weaponization of copyright 
in the sense of protecting your creative works, which is all the paparazzi are doing here. And, and here's my main, here's my main takeaway from this. I think the problem is the word paparazzi. We're talking about paparazzi, which have a horrible reputation of, you know, chasing down Princess Diana and causing a car crash. But if you substitute the word paparazzi for photographer, with photographer or with creator, almost no one out there would go, anybody who's in the know would go, oh, this is cut and dry. They'd all say that. But paparazzi makes people question it, but it doesn't change the fact. They have every right to do what they're doing. All right. Uh, as it is on this podcast, uh, I will, I'll keep my eyes out for any follow-ups here. And if there are any, we'll discuss it again in a future episode of Photo Geek Weekly. But um, right now, uh, we have uh, a staring contest. Uh, who will blink first? I don't know. Um, but I got a feeling that this is going to be one of those cases, as most of them are, that uh, we don't hear from again because it just gets solved behind closed doors. There is no judgment uh, and money exchanges hands that are behind a non-disclosure agreement and this quietly disappears. And Um, arguably, I think that's how it should be settled. That would be to me the proper uh, uh, resolution to this would be, look, let's come to terms, find something that's mutually agreeable to both of us, even if neither one of us are happy. And, you know, I, I deal with a lot of copyright stuff myself. And in almost every case, um, there is a non-disclosure clause when there's a settlement. And uh, so, I mean, I don't talk about the details, the companies and the amounts and, and uh, the specifics. I could just tell you that it happens a lot. And I sign a lot of those settlements because my work gets stolen a lot. And it, you, the listener to this podcast, probably has your work being stolen, too. So be mindful of that and, uh, and know how to take it forward. I, I was talking to a, a fellow photographer recently who was doing a lot of the approaches to infringers uh, themselves. And I cautioned against that because I've done it and I just get met with ignorance and vitriol and all sorts of sort of comments that harass me in response to me claiming my copyright. Um, you know, get a lawyer, uh, get, get a legal opinion from somebody, uh, that has the proper education and, and carry that on, but do certainly defend your work. And I've got the names of lawyers, at least in Canada and the U S if anybody needs help to figure that out more than happy to, uh, to set you up with somebody to at least hear out the scenario. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because, and there's our mutual friend, Ed Greenberg, you can always go with too. I, absolutely. And, and I've had some conversations with him in the past too. Um, but, you know, it was funny because I was selling my car. I sold it today. And uh, I still have it until Tuesday uh, when the accountants at the dealership that's buying it uh, sort out all the paperwork and, and have a check for me. But I realized something. That that car, a Tesla Model 3 Performance, was purchased from copyright infringement settlements. And that's not, not a simple compact economic vehicle that that is a luxury automobile uh it's got a significant price tag and you know i had been getting settlements for quite some time and just kind of banking them you know just kind of putting them away and then eventually came time to buy a new car and i had this lump sump of money uh and 
I just, I, I bought the car of my dreams. I, I wanted it. And, you know, it is from my, uh, my corporation that bought it. And I can claim that we're a, a very green company here. And I try to be as environmentally friendly as possible. But it was a really awesome car. The only way that I could have afforded buying it was from copyright infringement settlements, which is really backwards because I should have had these people uh, knocking on my door, calling me on the phone saying, Don, we want to, writing me an email is more common, obviously, but uh, we want to license your photos. Uh, how much is it going to cost us? And uh, and what are the terms? And, and let, let's come to a deal. Pleasure doing business with you. And that still happens quite a bit. I just uh, did a deal with a magazine a couple of days ago for 100 uh for no, it was, it was it was ten images for a couple of hundred dollars, and it was purely editorial. Um, and so, like, they're talking about me. Uh, you know, th- th- there are people online, uh, as uh, if you remember from a couple of uh, episodes ago when I had you on the four exposure Twitter account that I made a pick mm-hmm. of the week. Yeah, where a lot of them they're asking you to pay them money to promote yourself or you know, want wanting your stuff for nothing. No, no, if you if you play it right. People can both promote you and pay you. And this exists in the world and it should not be forgotten. Um, but so often people just steal my stuff and you got to just deal with it once you discover it. Um, just like the uh, uh, the actress here is now on the, um, the retribution end of this whole process. But there we go. Um, there you go. So... Let's uh, let's carry on into our picks of the week. Um, so uh, wh- why don't you go first, Steve? Okay. So let me pull it out of my pocket because my pick of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to spoil it. So I'm not going to tell you what I just showed Don because here's the deal. When Don sent me his pick of the week, it was going to be my pick of the week too because we both like it. So when everything Don says about his pick of the week, ditto from me. So I picked a different one. And what I'm picking actually is when I switched over to mirrorless, I have always used SanDisk cards and I love the SanDisk cards. They're great. But I know a couple of people that are high-end photographers and and it's more than one or two. I know a lot of them who use ProGrade Digital. And so when it came time to buy memory cards and a new card reader, because I needed a card reader that did CF Express, I looked at ProGrade Digital. I made the mistake of not using the discount code that my buddy David Bergman has. So I'm going to give you that discount code. Uh, But ProGrade Digital Cards, I am loving my SD card. I am loving my uh, uh, CF Express Type B card. They're both 128 gig. They're both super, super fast. Like my cameras keep up with these. These cards keep up with my cameras with no problem. And I bought a ProGrade Digital card reader. And what's funny is when I bought the dual card reader that does CF Express B and SD, I didn't know about one of its key features until I saw somebody else in a video actually take the card reader and stick it on the lid of their laptop so that as they were editing, the cards were sticking up right there next to them at the top of the laptop. ProGrade digital card readers come with a little sticky metal plate And the card reader itself is magnetic. And it seems so simple, but you'll see a picture of it when you go to progradedigital.com. And again, just can't, you can buy them anywhere. You can buy them. I bought mine, the card reader and the cards at B&H. 
You can get them at Adorama. You can get them all the normal places, but don't be Steve. And instead, buy them direct from ProGrade Digital using the following code, and you'll get 15% off. All one word, Bergman Rocks. So thank you to my buddy, David Bergman, for all he does to work with these companies and get these discount codes. And uh, I asked him, you know, can I share his code here? And he said, you know, definitely. So Bergman Rocks, as in David Bergman, the live music photographer, if you don't know him, he's been my pick of the week before for both Shoot from the Pit workshops he does and and Ask David Bergman. Bergman Rocks will get you 15% off at ProGradeDigital.com. And I'm looking up some of these cards here because my cameras, uh, they'll take the CF Express B cards um, and they've got 650 gigabyte uh, options available, which I think is the highest capacity that I've seen with the throughput rates of, uh, I, I hate when cards and everybody does this, they uh, prioritize the bigger number, but the bigger number is never the right speed. Uh, right. It's the read speed of it's 1700 megabytes per second. That's 1.7 gigabytes a second reading the right speed is the number that you really want to care about uh but it's not much lower it's uh 1.5 gigabytes per second being written to that card um i i can't i can't take that much information with the camera like that so the bottleneck is not the memory card at that point uh the memory card is not going to be an issue and of course reliability from this company They've got uh, the uh, uh, the recovery options available with most of their memory cards as well, which I, I've never had to use. Um, but the Recovery Pro software uh, is a really nice feature to just have. I recently purchased a, uh, a Seagate Fire CUDA uh, SSD um, that came with three years of data recovery as just an extra option, even though, yes, the hardware is technically... Uh, you know, covered by a warranty that lasts, I think, five years, but they'll make sure that even if it fails during that first time, if there's any way to recover your data, uh, then they got you uh, with whatever tools are available. So, um, but yeah, pro grade, there we go. And, and I will say like, for example, their prices are not bad. The the CF Express Type B Gold 1,728 uh, uh, megabytes is 165 bucks, which is about average for what you're going to find. The card reader that I got was the CF Express Type B with the SDXC UHS-2 dual slot reader. That's $80. And uh, again, they come with a metal plate and you can buy a pack of three metal plates if you've got a bunch of laptops or something, you you know, iPad you want to stick these things to for 10 bucks, but you can use any metal plate. I mean, it's just a magnet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I can't stress it enough. Very, very happy with their products. Um, very, very happy with, with, uh, you know, everything that they have created. Um, and, and they're again, even doing my, the CF Express A cards now, which are, I think, on some Sony cameras. Um, the CFast cards, which I used to use on some of my Canon gear, uh, is up to a terabyte. Wow. I mean, of course, they're expensive when you go all the way up there. Uh, but a, a company, you can make... Uh, regardless of how expensive it is, you can make a two, maybe even four terabyte SSD right now, but you can't make it reliable. So uh, when when you've got a company like ProGrade behind things and they're really backing up their, uh, you know, their, I guess, reliability with their name and everything, when you see them starting to get up to those numbers, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting pretty excited. Oh, and I will add, one of the things I found interesting was they have pre-packs of two-packs. So I have an R6 that has two SD slots. I needed two cards for that. 
I have an R5 that has one SD slot. I need one card for that, but I always want an extra card. So yep. I bought two two-packs. I have my R5 has one uh, CF Express card. I bought a two-pack so that I have a spare card in case the card goes down or something. Not so much for space, 128 gigs more than enough for me. It's in case I get a card error. Right. And their uh, SD cards, uh, the V90s, if you buy a two-pack, you get an 11% discount built in. I don't know if you can use the Bergman Rocks code on top of that, but you get 11% at that point. And then same thing on the CF Express cards. If you buy a two-pack, you get 10%. So pretty good deal. Cool. Well, Actually, thank you, know you for gonna, While you talk, I'm going to type that in, and I'm going to see <laughs> All right. if I get an extra 15% off on this. I'm almost at the cart right now. Here we go. Uh, oh, guess what? What? Uh, no. Oh, uh, yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. I got the two-pack, which is 20 uh, in my cart, is $296.99 for the two-pack. And I got $44 off for the Bergman Rocks if I put that code in there. Bergman so Rocks. You can actually All right. you can actually double that up. That's a pretty good deal. That is a very good deal. All right. Well, my deal, um, uh, my, uh, well, I guess my pick of the week, it's not really a deal. Uh, nobody's offering discounts on these things just yet. But um, I, I decided to upgrade to the iPhone 13 Pro. And uh, that's my pick of the week. And Steve, I know you got the Pro Max. It's pretty much the, the same thing now. One of the reasons why I love the iPhone 13 Pro is it's got the same camera modules as the Max now. There was no compromise or substitution on the smaller body. You've got the bigger cameras, you know, so uh, wider apertures, uh, three times telephoto lens, macro capabilities. They say the newest iPhone is... Uh, a modest upgrade from the 12 pro, which I also had. So, you know, I can uh, judge the difference. I'm surprised how often I'm using my telephoto camera and loving the fact that it's a three time zoom versus a two time zoom. And I've done some initial tests with the it's macro so mode subtle. on it. it. It's, it's subtle, but it's important. Uh, yeah. and yep. uh, I, and I've done some initial tests with the, the macro stuff. I am actually hopefully over the weekend going out and buying some Gerbera daisies and uh, and doing some water droplet refraction imagery with the iPhone as a tool, just kind of to say that I can. I, I, the best tool for it will always be my uh, my mirrorless camera gear, and I'm not going to question that at all. But what can it do? What are the capabilities? And I'm going to test that. But even without testing that with a proper artistic endeavor, it's uh, it's game changing to have something like that in your pocket. And, and you know, if, if you're coming in from an older generation iPhone, might not be the best upgrade if you already have a 12 Pro. Um, but the MagSafe uh, technology, the, uh, I, I bought some um, uh, of the, uh, what, what are the little tracker things that Apple has right now? AirTags. AirTags, those uh, air, the tags. I bought some of those. I'm going to stick them in the luggage then we, uh, when we move overseas. Uh, and anything from the iPhone 11 on has greater ability to detect those. But honestly, the battery life, phenomenal. I mean, slightly better than the previous one, but it always oh, lasted I me. I would argue it is. There were times like I'm up till 2, 3 in the morning. And my phone by that time when I'm up at, you know, 9 or 10, I'd be down to 20, 16, sometimes 10%. 
I'm going to bed at two, three in the morning with 40% of my phone. It's ridiculous. It's a good two hours more battery life. Uh, I consider it usually, it used to be about 10% of battery. And some of that is to uh, to do with the variable refresh rate screen, which, you know, if you're just reading text or flipping through images, it doesn't need to be running at its highest refresh rate. And so battery savings all around. I think it's just a greater creative tool uh, for photographers. And you know what? It's got the the modest processor increases year on year. That's always going to happen. But I feel like with this camera in my hands right now, I don't need to buy another iPhone for a long time. I well, and that's from- a key point, by the way. We have to stress. I keep hearing people, and there's been article headlines that drive me crazy in a way of, oh, what a mundane update, you know, or or this is a very incremental update. Okay, it is from the 12 Pro Max, but you and I may be early adopters. And there's a lot of people like us, perhaps, that buy every year, like I'm on the Apple upgrade plan. But the average person and people I know still have, I know people who still have an iPhone 8. I know people who still are using an iPhone 10. I went from the iPhone 6S uh, to the red hydrogen uh, as an upgrade, which was many years later. And then eventually when software was not supported for security updates, I went to the 12 Pro. So hydrogen out of the mix which was a neat little fancy thing for a year. I went from the 6S to the 12 Pro. That's a big jump. Um, yes. And and it was it was at the point with the, the 6S that it was a fully capable device uh, for what it was to consume content on and never really used it to create content. Now, I think we're at the point where it is a super device for creating content and consuming content, both of them at the same time, that has hit a marker that basically it's like a piece of software is so feature complete that it has a long-term support branch to it because that's the version that's going to still be supported 10 years down the road and you buy it now and you've got that decade worth of support baked into it. And I would argue, okay, 12 minor, although I notice it, I came from a 12 Pro Max and I noticed the speed difference and I noticed the refresh rate, although not as much as I thought I would, but some of the features. But if you're coming from an 11 of any model, if you're coming from a 10, an iPhone X, this is a huge upgrade. And from a creative point of view, I I've, I love portrait mode on my iPhone but it doesn't work for a lot of what I like. Like I like to do artistic photos of, Hey, I got a cool bottle of whiskey. Here's a glass in front of it. And it can never find the edges of the glass being bald. It can't find the edge of my head a lot of times. So I miss a chunk of my head that's blurry, but in the new cinematic mode, while it does miss, it is doing portrait mode frame by frame at whatever 30 frames a second in live video and doing rack focus or pull focus. That is stunning and it's scary good. And you know what? As scary good as it is, it's a Gen 1 feature, right? Um, And I'm sure it was tested to the nines with whoever was testing the cameras and the engineers, but when they get real world feedback, as to the edge cases, like a bald head or, you know, a chain link fence or things that, you know, small gaps between somebody's arm and, uh, uh, and their shirt, which I still fails to register, um, for the portrait mode, you'll get a, an area, a very small window sliver of in-focus stuff behind somebody. Right. 
um, that's changing and getting better. Those edge cases, and I think the more of those they tackle, the more that neural engine within uh, the, the phone is able to detect these things, I think the better off we'll all be, especially when you say that it's great now. The very first version of the portrait mode, I think, sucked. Uh, I mean, it was oh, novel. it did, it did. And, and it was it was novel and it was interesting, but I would never use it because it would just it looked wrong, uh, and it evolved and it got a lot better. So we should expect the same, I think, from this video feature, especially with the horsepower in the phone that I think is either underutilized or efficiencies can be found in the next I don't know uh, iOS fifteen point one or two. What or it's whatever doing do. in cinematic mode, it's using that processor. There is no question, and I will say. Like the the early iPhone version, it was on Android ahead of time, but the early iPhone version of night shot, of night mode, where you couldn't turn it off. And then they added the feature where you could turn it off. Well, this works really great. You can touch a part of the, it'll pick up a face. You can touch a part of the screen to say, no, I want the focus here. The problem is, if I say I want to focus here and anybody turns their face towards the camera, I don't get a choice. It goes right. to it. If I had a li- if if I could say purely manual, that would change it even more. But really, out of the gate, this phone great pick. It's it. I'm loving it. Me as well. Uh, and again, what color did you get? By the way, I, I got the graphite, the black, uh, okay. and uh, I just wanted to be inconspicuous uh, with it. But uh, and you know, I, I had originally ordered a a moment uh, MagSafe case because you know I, I wanted to try and find. Uh, you know, Steve's got the same one. Uh, same. No, mine's the phone. mine's actually like the blue. Oh, it, it's showing up a bit different on the camera. Uh, anyhow, it's not the rich blue. It's like a lighter blue. Right. Uh, I had ordered a moment case because uh, I had liked their cases before I had one. Uh, you know, I had one for my previous iPhone 12, which my wife definitely did not want the wood grain finish. When I sent her the the phone, she's got the 12 Pro now. So um, got that case. Anyhow, uh, they weren't going to ship on time for us to ship out to Bulgaria. Uh, they delayed it and they delayed it. And so I canceled the order and I bought the Apple um, leather case. I, I don't. Like it's not going to be a pick of the week or anything, but this is the nicest phone case that I've ever owned. Uh, and I didn't have a MagSafe case before. And I was shocked when I put my phone into it and it actually beeps at me and it shows me a little circle that says, yeah, you just put a MagSafe case on. I recognize that, you know, you, you're ready to play. Uh, they've just thought it all through. And uh, this phone will be the last phone that I buy for a very long time. Uh, I don't see any reason for me to upgrade from this for at least half a decade. It is that good, that solid of a device. Um, and it's going to be a phone where the battery is going to uh, die on me and I'm going to have it officially replaced with a new battery to keep going because I won't feel the need to upgrade. Anyhow, um, sorry, you, you, you muted, Steve. Uh, I know you're trying to say something, but I can't hear you. This is the this is the computer I am on more than any computer any given day. So for me, yeah. I upgrade every year. But again, uh, don't listen to the headlines that say it's a minor upgrade unless you are literally coming from a 12. If you're coming from an 11 or before, this is a pretty big upgrade. And the 77 millimeter to me gets you closer to a portrait uh, feel. Um the, the wider apertures are really, really nice. Again, it's not noise-free at night, 
but it's a pretty, it's amazing what's in your pocket. I, my client, the arena, I'm out in front the other day, sold out show banned for three nights. They sold out. They wanted to post a social media photo online instantly. And I'm like, okay, I could take it on the camera, offload it on the phone, edit it in Snapseed. Let's, you know, let's just test shooting it with the iPhone 13 Pro Max. Shot it with the iPhone 13 Pro Max, took it into photos, hit the magic wand, pulled down the whatever they call it. You know, it's not clarity. It's uh, I forget what they call it. Anyway, their little automatic thing. Yeah. Uh, pulled that down a little bit. Definition, something like that. And uh, or brilliance, I think they call it. I pulled that down a little bit so it wasn't overcooked. Airdropped it to him. It was literally on Instagram within three minutes. I, I was out for a walk with my wife and my daughter yesterday, and um, it was late at night, uh, right before my daughter's bedtime. So the, the sun had set this time of the year, and so it was all dark. And I equipped my daughter with an LED flashlight, kind of kind of squished into the basket on the front of her bike. And I, I just I, I took a photo of that uh, with the wow. I, uh, iPhone 13 Pro. And it's just it's a flashlight on a bike and, and my uh, wonderful little girl just biking along this very dark path. Uh, and, and those are the kinds of moments that I can get with this. Uh, I don't think I could get that same thing because of the way it does really uh, properly interpret long exposures with motion and uh, and figure all of that out. I don't think I could have taken that photograph with a traditional camera nearly as well. And that's a big statement. So that, that and, that, and that was with the 3X telephoto lens. So, yeah, yeah, um, that's my pick. And that, I guess, winds us down from another wonderful episode of Photo Geek Weekly. Thank you, Steve, for being back on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on. You are the most loved guest that I, I have on this that. program. No, but I know I about it. I love doing it. And I appreciate your, your having me on because you've got a great platform here. And I just to be a part of it is kind of cool. Thank you. And thank you to everybody who's listening to this. Uh, you know, we're uh, well over the hour mark that we strive for, but hopefully that hasn't deterred you from continuing to listen another 20 something minutes. Thank you for listening to the show. And again, be safe and careful out there, but I think it's now time to get out and shoot. 